Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And uh, as usual, we're sponsored by Harbro, suppliers and manufacturers of quality livestock nutrition. This week on Top Lines and Tales, we're continuing with our series on characters in livestock. And uh, I've got a man with me who's had a huge experience in the livestock industry, both in the cattle and the sheep world, very well-respected breeder well-respected stocksman and uh, very well-respected judge, Danny Wiley. Welcome to the podcast, Danny. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Yeah, yeah. And Danny, let's start at the beginning there. Where was it you were born? A Holmes Farm, Dalrymple, Ayrshire. Okay, you're an Ayrshire boy. I thought you were. Eld- eldest of nine. I knew there was a few of yeah. There's nine, is there? Okay, I just, one yeah. or two of those, of course, yeah. are prominent boys amongst the, amongst the trade as well as yourself. That's right, yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Alistair and John and Walter would be three, three uh, boys. Aye, Walter and then the youngest brothers, Morris. He's the youngest of the family, yeah. And Danny, but when I knew you, you were shepherd at uh, Robert Graham's, of course, at the S3 Curse That's in the right. early days. Would you gone there straight from school, uh, Danny? No, no, that was, uh, I was in my early 30s, yeah. We were splitting up at home, father decided uh, with five sons, right? There's no way with the influx of Irishmen coming over. And at that period in time, they were probably averaging seven and a half, eight thousand an acre in Ireland, whereas good land in Ayrshire was two, two and a half thousand an acre. Mm-hmm. And my dad said, he says, there's no way he could afford to put us all in farms. So he says, I'm going to sell the job up and split up. Then there'll be no arguing. When he wasn't there, <laughs> so we all all made our own ways, and that's when I took the job as shepherd with Robert. Yeah, no fighting yeah. between the nine brothers. That would be some riot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert, yeah. Robert, of course, a fantastic entrepreneur and another well-respected man amongst the industry, and uh, oh, yeah. obviously well known with his lemmas and cattle. But you were there more on the, as a shepherd, weren't you? In in those days, you would, probably wouldn't be near the cattle at that time. Yeah, nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, John Harvey was the. Cattleman at the time, yes, and uh, I took the job on uh, to manage the pedigree Suffolk flock. Right, that's what the job was like, and uh, it was only that year that uh, Robert left to go down to the Royal Show and come back. I was busy like lamb and dozing lambs, and then and they come back and they actually he said, "Oh, he says, I've got an apology to make to you." He says, "I've seen a new breed of sheep." He says, "I think they've got a future." And uh, I said, oh, what's these like? And I'd already been, I was quite interested in using the blue domain at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, he says, hey, these are no blues. He says, these are red. I <laughs> says, oh. I says, what are they? He says, Rouge de l'Est. Where did they come from? <laughs> oh, he says, France. And I says, oh. I said, brother, I said, we've got enough breeds out of France already. I said, there surely can't be another one. And he says, I have a future for these like. Mm-hmm. And it was the following week, he said, he bought, a stock ram and three shilling ewes with the option of buying a few more when we went down to Michael Glitson's at Southern Sister okay. the following week. Yeah, yeah. Would they have come in on a ballot uh, back then, Danny? Uh, yeah, no, they, they came in privately from to Michael Glitson and Peter Platt. Okay. Had brought them in. And uh-huh. uh, then uh, that was in the July, end of July, beginning of August, and then it wasn't until October there was a, a load come in. From mm-hmm. France, like you lambs mainly, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, later that year, they had a ballot, and that's what I'm saying. Uh, there were so many breeders. Well, it was the following year actually, because uh, we put the top. We put uh, it was a good roof ram, like 
and we put them to oh, at about a dozen different breeds of sheep, from lowland breeds to hill breeds. And that following summer, we booked a stand on the NSA. All right. And that was the start. I had all these crossbred lambs by the roadside, like mm-hmm. and on the Sunday. When I, when I walked into the Highland Show to get them off the wagon, I couldn't get the sheep properly finished, bedded and done up because there was that many people coming at me. Coming around you. Would it be slightly, what, after, what the, these? slightly after the blues? Because I, mean, I remember them saying it was blue domania with That's the blues, right. wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, that after. was oh, four, five, probably four or five years after the blues was originally brought in. And, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and yeah. just go back to the Suffolks a second then. Were you running the, a decent flock of Suffolks back there at Esri Coast? Were you yes, in amongst it? Yes, I had, had 100, 120 ewes. Yeah, pedigree Suffolks, yeah, yeah. In and amongst the big monies back then? Uh, not really had uh, a chap called Jim Buckingham and the, the, they bought a ram from uh, Mayors of Muir because mm-hmm. uh, I was actually at the sale looking for one for myself back home mm-hmm. and uh, they paid 8000 I wasn't a lover of him because he wasn't big enough and long enough for me mm-hmm. anyway they paid 8000 for him and uh, unfortunately he proved to be just what he was he was far too short and dumpy mm-hmm. he never grew because the, the day I went up for the interview, uh, we met in the office at Eric Ayers, had a coffee light, and I says, oh, he says, you want to see a few limousines before we went across, because the, the sheep were at a farm called Colbeg at the time. And uh, so I'll show you some limbs, and we'd walk around the limbs originally, light, and I was amazed how quiet they were, and that was 1985. Yeah, okay. Uh, the cows and calves lying in the shed, like, yeah. Because they had a wee reputation. Had a wee reputation. We'll maybe go on to the limbs in a minute, but they had a wee reputation back then for not for being the opposite of that, didn't they? Not Graham's, I don't mean, but within the breed. Uh, exactly. Oh, yeah, there was really mental ones in the breed, right? Because yeah, mm-hmm. the French were getting rid of their bad strains That's right. when the boom come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we went out to go back to see these Suffolk's light, and the first penny took me in was a pen of shearling tops. And uh, there'd be about 25, 30 shearling tops running in this big new sheep shed as well, up like the previous year. Mm-hmm. And here's this little stocky, can bowing like tree trunks, like <laughs> running past. I said, Oh, I says, he hasn't grew much, Robert. Mm-hmm. Oh, he says, You recognize him? I said, I could never forget him. <laughs> I, said, I said, I thought it was an extra zero on the end of his price tag last year. <laughs> That's a good way to get yourself through an interview, eh? telling him he's paid t- ten times too much for his stocked up. But... <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's me, Andy, as you know. Uh, Always abs- straight in the chin, yeah. yeah. A- absolutely, Danny. And, and hey, we'll, we'll not dwell on it, but some of those sheep that were coming down from Turriff at that time, they, they, was, they, were, they were that well done that they didn't grow a lot when they went oh. south, did they? Yeah, just under, yeah, you couldn't compete with them, yeah. yeah they'd done, they'd yeah. done the growing by the time they left home, hadn't they, a lot of those sheep? Oh, yeah. So going back to the Rouge then, so you're settled in then, then with, and, these, and these Rouge sheep arrive there, and a lot of our listeners, probably overseas listeners, won't even know what a Rouge de l'Ouest sheep looks like, but they're a, they're a big beast. They'd be bigger than a Suffolk, wouldn't they? And a big big bright red head that, and big lugs right. and cocky-looking sheep, aren't they? That's right, Andrea. And really milky, mm-hmm. and with a tremendous job of the lambs, like, even the crossbreds, like, but they, and a lot of them was like anything else that was imported. There was a lot of bad skin ones right. imported originally, like, yeah, mm-hmm. heavy skin, far too heavy skin. Would you put them across some of the Suffolks as well? That'd be an interesting cross, I Yeah, guess. oh, we put them over Suffolks, Suffolk cross, half-breds, uh, blackface, swales, 
uh, with the Bueller's, mm-hmm. Welsh Bueller's. All right, uh, yeah. Oh, with umpteen breeds like, and that's what I'm saying. They they were fantastic doing lambs like. And there was a bit of a jockeying for position to, between the Blues and the Rouge at that time. In fact, a lot of breeders had both, didn't they? You're right. Yes. Yeah, because uh, one of the first gentlemen to approach me was Keith Brook. Uh-huh. And he was actually chairman of the Blackface Sheep Association at the time. Right. Because <laughs> he's bonny coloured and new ewe lambs like off the Blackface U. He, he wouldn't believe it when I told him they were by a French sire. Yeah. And uh, he was actually the first name in the book for an order. Right. To buy two or three females, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, And you built those up, oh, Robert and yourself built that flock up to yeah, fairly big built, flock, built but kept the quality. Up. That's right. We, we, we had uh, 30 blue domains and we built the rouge up to towards 100, 80 to 100. Really? It was roughly. That we used to sell a lot on the year. And the, uh, I, can, I can remember the first rouge sale at Carlisle Market and we had 37 ewe lambs. And the pair, well, two pens, and the late George McElroy from Belig was next door to us. Mm-hmm. Across the passageway, obviously, again, about an hour in front of us, going through the ring, and him and Robert were standing, and there was serious interest in these lambs, kind of more or less going horse, mm-hmm. and Robert talking to people like, mm-hmm. and the. Uh, Robert Graham says to George, well, he says, whoever tops the average between us can buy the tea in the road home tonight in the Metal Bridge. <laughs> and George, and John was only a lad at the time, and they, they come out of the ring, oh, nearly aye, an hour to an hour and five minutes before his light, and the average 1,487, I think, or 88 Jeez. guineas. Yeah. <laughs> and then we went through an hour and a quarter, an hour and ten minutes, an hour and a quarter later, and we averaged 1,499 guineas. Wow. Exactly. Thirty-seven year long. Wow, that's that's serious money. That's serious money back then, isn't it? For for, for well, that. Not just, yeah. uh, and some of these sheep, of course, coming in wouldn't have come in too dear. I know. I we were over there buying blue domains and, and, not, and rouge. It's not rouge, but uh, we were buying blues. And yeah. some of these sheep would be yeah. coming in at two or three hundred quid. Some of these ewes, they weren't they exactly. weren't here to bring in. Oh yeah, serious. Yeah, profit. yeah, 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 yeah. Decent, decent ewe lambs at two fifty, two sixty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Robert Graham's yeah. always renowned, and again, our listeners don't know Robert Graham now, and so Graham's milk, of course, in a massive way of business, but always been a great businessman, oh. always had his eye on, on, yeah. on the pounds and a great businessman. He made the, exactly. made the yeah. figures stuck yeah. up, didn't yeah. he? Oh, yeah. At the time as well, of course, he would be getting to be Mr. Limousin as well. He would be hitting the straps with the limousines right. by then. Oh, yeah, fantastic limousines, yeah. And I'd be guessing that Davy Cormack came in round about that time when you were there for the limousines. Yeah, the eighty end of eighty six, we in eighty seven. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. again, yeah. We would be making of course serious money with the uh, the limousines at the same time. And, and oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're selling them to America in these days. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We've certainly covered because uh, one of the first bulls, uh, me being shepherd, like can obviously interest in cattle as well and. Uh, this was with John Harvey before David come. I think it was at the back end of '85 or the spring of '86. I just forgot exactly, but these two good bulls. And he says, "Would you go with John?" And it was at Banbury. The sale was at Banbury. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, "I want these bulls up in the air, like so they catch the eye when people come." Like, because mm-hmm. uh, we took two round bales for straw, like, <laughs> and it. It was a big bull anyway, the Kobeg, because he had the two prefixes at that time, the okay. Kobeg prefix. 
And uh, anyway, the bull went, was 22,000 to America. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hell of a bull, yeah. We did a podcast on the limousine breed a while back, and I remember a story of that bull going going away, I think, and, and, and the big money. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and how long would you have stayed then at, at Robert Graham's? Five or six years? Uh, six years, yeah, mm-hmm. roughly six years, and, yeah, and it was due to the wife, and I would never have been left, but, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And, and during yeah. that time, you'd keep you'd, you'd keep the, the rouge going, but they still in popularity when you came away, because obviously they'd oh, fallen yes, from grace yeah. a wee bit. They fell from grace That's a wee right. bit in the 90s, didn't they, or late 90s, I suppose. They That's right, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and some people would question, I think at the time, they would, they would set them out to be a female breed, weren't they? And as you said, crossing with these various things, would they question their ability to survive the weather, maybe, on the hill? Was that, was that one of the... De- That's the right, forward? yeah. You, if you got, you could, like uh, a lot of other breeds can, uh, well, the, the, the blue lesters are the same. You can get real bare ones. Uh, it's just your luck of the draw, how they cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was the biggest problem with some of the rouge crosses. Like, yeah, they were too bare coated. Like, yeah, yeah, you got a rough, rough day. Like, yeah, uh-huh. hypothermia here would set in very quickly. Yeah, and I'd be right in thinking Steve Jones replaced you up there. Did Steve come up there from Esmos or did? I- yes, that's right. That's right. And yeah, when I left, uh, Billy Bothwick took over as shepherd. Okay. Uh, and uh, Steve Jones come in as a manager, like right? yeah. Okay, so yeah, I remember, certainly remember Steve was still yeah. bringing Steve, Steve was still bringing the blues and the rouge, and Steve had a few few blues of his own as well at that time, and he was a that, that's right, very that's much right. an yeah. oppo of my old man's, I think, right around about that time. There be uh, that, that's right, and yeah, be hard man yeah. to beat yeah. as you are as you are yourself, and yeah. and another name I'm going to throw in there, I think Callum Hillhouse. I'm not sure if Callum was there when you were there, but he's that's right, Callum was my understudy, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, a good lad like Callum, so he was absolute top in, yeah. top in lad down down in in England now and breeding a few Angus and uh, that's right, still doing yeah, still yeah. doing well. Uh, he's done really well. He's been shown, yeah, him mm-hmm. and Emma, yeah, yeah, and Angus is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and from there was that when you went down to to Coley in, in Staffordshire, or, or or am I missed a bit? There? Yeah, uh, well, I already met Jane Light, and uh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I was just the uh, my head was getting. Frazzled like with the the ex, and uh, mm-hmm. I decided Robert was away in Canada at the time, and I decided to head south like, and then uh, I put an advert in the paper looking for work, and uh, that's when I took the job uh, with Barry Baggett, yeah, Ben Baggett. Coley, pedigree Charlie, yeah. That's yeah, right, he had pedigree yeah. Charlotte. He had some Charlies there, I think, when, when you got there, did he? He would have had a... a that's right, yes, I would have had a hell of a good go. Uh, Blealak Cardella, mm-hmm. he had 12,000 guineas, he'd paid for it, uh, one of the original Christmas crackers there. And uh, yeah, she went on to be a show cow for you, didn't she? Oh yeah, yeah, won a lot of championships, yeah. Cause, uh, we were competing against Mr. the late Mr. McDonald, that great at the time down here. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and it, it travelled well, and, uh, and I remember the good herd of cattle there, and uh, and later on you've started a, a flock of Texel sheep there as well, so you've gone That's into a different right. breed yeah, now, I think young, that was your yeah. doing, wasn't it? It was, yes. He wanted to start pedigrees, yeah. And uh, then again, he went away over the top of my head one day. He disappeared and he came back. And I, well, we started buying Atlanta. Uh, the original two purchases was from John Perside. That's right. Glenside. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was as a ewe lamb at the, the back end sale, like. And he brought her out. And she actually won the, the sheep interbreed at Three County Show. That was the first out. 
first outing. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a big yeah. end to breed to win as well, isn't it? And and that's right. Only show youngsters at the three counties show, don't they? They only show only show shillings and gimmers. There's no old sheep there as well. That's right. Here, that's right. And they, they built it up. They went away and they bought Griff Morris's flock privately. Okay. Griff had decided to sell up at the time, and anyway, I, I set off with a wagon light. <laughs> the Griff was light, yeah. Mm-hmm. The following week, like to pick these, oh, was about seventy heads. Like, yeah. I remember, yeah. remember you having some decent lambs in there, and I think uh, would it be when you, when you left there, be a little bit later on that uh, I came in there and I bought the stocked up Glenside Aristocrat off you from. Ah, yeah, uh, yes, he yeah. Did, he did well yeah. for me. And meanwhile, the Sharleys, as I said, you'd be what sort of numbers of Sharleys would you had had there at Barris? Uh, at Coley, yeah, the twenty four, twenty five cows this year, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was only 18 months there, and that's when we got the tenancy. We acquired the tenancy of Pestle Farm, right? Yeah. Going to go on to that. Yeah. So you took the tenancy, which is in Pestle Farm, is in Staffordshire, and, and you and Jane took that tenancy yeah. between you, didn't you? Yeah. And, of course, another oppo of ours as well, Jane Jane Malibu would have... Uh, and her father would have been a, another thorn in our side in those days when we were my father and we right. were show, showing blue domains and always had some good blue domains and uh, yes. And did you keep a few of those blues when you went on to 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 Purcell? No, uh, we didn't because she'd actually sold them before, okay. just before Jeff had sold them. Uh-huh. Yeah, the year before we got the tenancy. Yeah. What year was that, Danny? Yeah, eighty-eighty-nine or ninety, and yeah, 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 we sold them up. And then on, on Pestle, I'm right in thinking you went into Shirley Cattle then, didn't you, to start with anyway? Yes, I started, the, I was free lunching and with a small acreage and I wanted, I was actually intended to keep the job on at Coley, but uh, Mr. Baggett thought elsewise. Okay. <laughs> That's when we parted company, like when he knew with the tenancy, as a holding light. Uh-huh. And uh, anyway, I was, I did a bit of free lunching at the time and I built up I heard of 12 females just within about 18 months. Right. And then I was doing a sale at the old Fradley, well, the new Fradley market. The late Jack Young was the auctioneer and uh, John, oh God, Black and White Sires is now down Cambridge Way. Yeah, anyway, he approached me at the market, he says, because I'd been using the blue commercially a little bit and a few commercial cows and I always fancied the blue kind of even when I was at Robert Graham's like mm-hmm. two of the best cows in the breed at the time and Oh Robert had blues cows. as well of course didn't he back then Yeah and uh, that's when I fell in love with the blues and anyway I decided uh, John he come at me at this sale and John uh, Minch's sale and we're just starting the maiden heifers and I'd pull give me a hand and uh, John came out me. I says, "Tell me, your Charlie's might be for sale." I says, "They could be if the money's right." Mm-hmm. Well, he says, "Be any chance of going out and having a look?" I says, "When?" Well, he says, "Just now." Well, I says, "Look," I says, "You see, I'm busy here." I says, "I've been another two hours at home." Mm-hmm. So anyway, I phoned one of my brother-in-laws in the neighbouring farm, and I says, "Could you go and show this man these Charlie cattle?" And when I got home that night, he left written out a note, make make me an offer. And we're actually, what I'd thought in my head were £500 short. He was £500 short on 12. Mm-hmm. There was 12 cows, well, 10 cows, two in-calf heifers, and there was five calves. And uh, anyway, I was to phone him before half past seven, and this was 10 past seven. I got home because he said he was going out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I phoned him. I said, look, John, I said, uh, I could do that extra 500 Well, he said, I'll tell you what, I said, you deliver them. 
So I'll give you an extra five hundred. <laughs> and uh, I actually delivered them the following morning because there was no TV in the search in them days. <laughs> and uh, David Benson got to hear about it and gave me the biggest rollick and he said, what are you going to have the challenge for? So <laughs> you'll regret that. <laughs> <laughs> the following year, I'd kept this bull calf, uh-huh. a good bull calf, and uh, the following year, uh, I finished up reserve supreme champion at Perth, Bull Sales. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Get him away in decent trade. Yeah, well, it wasn't big enough. It was eight, eight, seven, eight. Aye, Tamord Mustard was his name. Yeah. Okay. And you, um, and you probably at that time, as you said, Benna would be wondering because, of course, the Charolais would still be flying back then, and they had a bit of a oh, doldrum just, later yeah. on. That's right, and yeah, they were just yeah, yeah, they were really taking off in them days, yeah. And and then we go on to the blues, which more people will know you for, of course. And as you said, under the Tamhorn prefix that uh, yeah, that you started yeah, the blues. Yeah. And how did you start with them, Danny? Ah, well, that's the same. Uh, I got the bug when I was in the sixth year at Ayrshire Cares. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a couple of cows and we did a bit of flushing, but they were before their time in the mid-80s. Right. They were so, what what we refer to now as, well, the, the breed is now called British Blues. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were Belgian Blues and there was a couple of three men in the country, mentioning no names, were going out to Belgium mm-hmm. and bringing in rejects from the herds in Belgium and they were being put in the British market as Belgian Blues, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Father-in-law was very keen at the time, and he'd had a bad heart condition, and he was really keen. And I said, "Right," I said, "We'll go with it," and we went to it to Belgium. I couldn't believe it. Well, first, first one we actually bought was at Chelford Market uh-huh. from the late Dennis Lomas. Okay, at Congleton. Dennis was a very able man, wasn't he? And and uh, a dairy breeder as well, but uh, in Simitals. And uh, Dennis could uh, he'd That's always right. have good walking cattle. He always liked to see him moving. Didn't he? That's right, mobile cattle, and uh, we finished up buying a uh, Glebedale Jane, mm-hmm. same name as the good lady, uh-huh. uh, in Cav Heifer, and she produced Tamhorn Millie, uh, and that was in the back end of 95, and uh, she was female champion at 20 months old at the Royal Show. Really? Yeah. Stonely, yeah, yeah. I'd be showing against you back then, I think I was, I was, right. I was involved right. in the breed. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And uh, she was pure white, like, and actually we soaked her up with a Charlie soap because uh, much to the disgust of Mr. Barber and Mr. Brindley and company that day. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. It was a really wet year and we're out in interbreed, beef interbreed, like, and uh, Jane was always leaning. It was her baby, like, and uh, I was behind with a stick. And I'll never forget Cyril Miller and David Benson coming out of the Charlie stand to watch her walk past because we were right up in front of the Charlie stand, the interbreed mm-hmm. ring that day. Uh-huh. And uh, Cyril come down the lines afterwards and says, God, he says, he says, there are many like that in the breed. <laughs> I says, Un- unfortunately, Cyril, at the moment, no. <laughs> <laughs> and Cyril wanted to buy her offers that night, but really? I knew they'd be a divorce. Uh-huh. Good lady if I sold her. <laughs> That was ninety seven, and yeah. Sarah, Sarah was always a man that could persuade most people to sell anything, wasn't he? Well, That's still right. is, still yeah, is, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Still is. <laughs> yeah. And but no, that was uh, we prided ourselves in mobility, like, and, and I think that was part of the reason the herd was so successful, right? Uh, indeed, but just going back to the, you building the herd up, you went out to Belgium and bought a few more, but you yes. looking, looking in a different place to maybe where everybody else had been looking. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, completely, Andrew. Yeah, I, I was amazed. 
when we went out to Belgium, we went to first first trip was a an organised trip through the society, like Jane, father-in-law, and myself, and uh, well, it was about thirty odd in the bus, mm-hmm. and I was amazed. Ken, in these days, it was these really, mm-hmm. as I say, rejects that was coming in in the early eighties, and people can you see? I've seen odd ones going up to Perth in these days, and the the old the proper stockmen would just laugh at them because they were so. So bad mobility, like mm. these droopy backsides, like, and I was amazed. So was father, late father-in-law Jeff and Jane, like the real what we call class mobile cattle, mm-hmm. and these were the kind in Belgium that the breeders didn't reckon much to, okay. but because they weren't extreme enough muscle, mm-hmm. like yeah. Mm-hmm. And you brought uh, so we imported, yeah. We we seen these. The first two was off the one herd. The, Wolf and Reef had tennis brothers up Flanders, North Flanders in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolf and Reef Noella and Wolf and Reef Alala, yeah. They were both six months old calves, half a calves out of two tremendous cows. And that was the start of the Tamron herds. We brought them home and started a flushing program along with Glebedale Jane, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a wise, wise and experienced man that you are, you'd always know you'd buy, you want to see the mother before you'd buy the calves, so you know what you were buying, uh, even, when, even when they were that age. Yeah. Exactly, and yeah, yeah. I could I think the present day, that is a problem with a lot of breeds. People don't follow the family line. Mm. They just see a, a bull or a female in front of them with big fancy figures, and uh, that's the one, like, yeah. We were always learned when we were young, if you go to buy anything, you go into a pen or a, a line of cattle that's even and well-balanced rather than buy a single good animal. Like, eh? sure. And as you said, see the mother and the granny as well, if you can. Exactly. And the, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and the flushing, who, who would be doing your flushing back back in those days? I Originally, it was a, a chap, well, he's still, I think he's, I'm sure he's still, Alex Morton. Australian. Okay. Yeah, Alex and Jenny Morton were we started with. Good flushing from the beginning? Oh, yeah. Well, the one cow, uh, Wolf and Reef Noella, when the foot and mouth hit, uh, and then we started up opening the sales again, and the late David Dickinson said to me after the first sale, he says, oh, he says, uh, you want your head looking wily, you should have foot and mouth. And of course, you were keeping it away and keeping it away because you know, all these good young females and good brood coos. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it would t- we took 237 grade A embryos oh. out of Wolf and Reef Noella in two and, a, two and a half year. Wow. And the progeny at that time were averaging 4,000 off her. <laughs> and the late David Dickinson said, he says, you know, he says, that one, that first cow in your herd, because he was. He was the auctioneer I put down in the form. The value, yeah, the yeah. And uh, he says, I would have to have given you 100000 for that one cow. Like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, she emptied that anyway, and not only that, but she, of course you kept all those youngsters, and that's what built up your, built up your herd. That's and, right. And did that's you ever buy right. any more females in again in, the ta- in Tamil? Yes, we you? did. We always would do it. We used to love a trip, right? And just always kept the eye open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, we bought... Not a lot, but regular, because one of the best ones I ever brought in was a Captive Diffuse, she was called. And uh, that was just pre-foot and mouth. Mm-hmm. And falling foot and mouth, we took her out. And uh, she won Stafford County. Then she went up, won the Highlands. 
down to the Royal, won the Royal, and uh, she was the first female in the breed going to go for the treble and the big shows. Uh-huh. And she got kicked with a Holstein cow in the Sunday morning in the wash mm-hmm. at Belth Wells and was dead 48 hours later with a hemorrhage. I remember seeing you that, talking to you that morning, Danny, when that had just happened and you were a man, we were a sorry, man, right. sorry man that day. I remember having that conversation and uh, oh, you said she's oh. as good a cow as you'd ever seen, you thought, didn't you? Oh, well, they were all kind of saying the Irishmen had come over mm-hmm. hoping to see her like they'd never seen her in the flesh, like. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, God, I. Yeah. Aye, anyway, that's what I'm saying. That's, uh, that was a disaster day. Yeah. Sure. But uh, you did build, yeah. you built up the herd and up over 100 females, I think, didn't you? Yeah, at one time, yeah. We'd, uh, well, between recepts and things, we were up to nearly. 200, just on the 200, 210 head on under-acre holding. <laughs> wow. wow. And churning them out like a money machine. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. We kept having production sales, and they were mm. our first production sale at Carlisle in 2000, and Chelford 2003, 2005. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just kept yeah. putting them through the production. And what, what, what sires did he use in? I mean, there's a lot of blue, uh, Belgian blue breeders that uh, listen to this podcast, and uh, or more modern modern British blue, should I say, breeders. Now, what sires that, that, that did he put yeah, on well, one the of first, those decent the first, Yeah, one of the first was one of the highest classified bulls in the breed at the time, was a bull called Crystal de Somme, and that was were original. And then followed on from Crystal, we used a bull called Bankier de Moulin, who was a uh, oh, an absolute fantastic big dark blue and white mobile fifteen hundred kilo bull. Really? And did you bring the yeah. bulls in? Bring the bulls in, Danny? Or are you just using semen? Back no, then? I just, I just in these days, yeah, uh, with semen. And they went out to these uh, Belgium X and open like the bull stud. They always used to have these open nights. Yeah. And they would parade the bulls like yeah. And then we went on farm to see his mother. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, that's what I'm saying. It was just a, he, he was a sire of a Tamon Ringmaster. Yeah, I was going to mention Ringmaster. He's another bull yeah, that did yeah. that did you very well, didn't he? He's a, he's a bull that you'll be remembered oh, for, I think. That's right. He was yeah, a fantastic commercial breeder. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the him again was out of Alala, one of the two six-month-old heifer calves from right. Wolfendry. Yeah. And did yeah. you sell him, Ringmaster? Yeah, he was a uh, was summer showed, and he uh, won a lot of championships. Uh, and then uh, he was champion at uh, Carlisle in uh, well, at the end of September, and these days in October. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd get the offer of four or five thousand for him, which was a good price at the time at the shows. And I said, No way, no way. Uh, Frank Page followed him all summer, like, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, he was so upset that day when I was leading them down the passage at Carlisle. He said, My brother's going to kill me when I get back home paying seven thousand for a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Frank, again, one of my oppos in the earlier days when we used to be in the fat stock show and then Frank uh, just breed a lot of good, yeah. good show calves and they know, oh. he, know, he knows the carcass and he knows the right beast, doesn't he, Frank? That's right, that's right. Uh, and 7,000 from that one, but you went on to sell bulls up to 16,000 eventually there, yeah. Danny. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what was that bull? Crackerjack, Tamon Crackerjack, yes. Uh, who got him? Henry Harvey, Waxham. Uh, used to be big dairy herd. Uh-huh. One of the top dairy herds in Norfolk. And you eventually went on and dispersed the blues, I think, back in, would that be 2012? Yeah, 2012, yes. Yeah, because uh, I was in partnership with the Charlies, with Pete Malibu at the time. We were just getting too many cattle about, and we thought probably the blues 
were the ones that would be worth most money mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, I dispersed them and decided to have it at Newark. Yeah, and yeah, with a, a good dispersal, I think, yeah. I think you, the, the blood would have been bought by quite a few round and about, wouldn't it? You'd have put the backbone in a few herds from that. That's right, that's right, yes, yeah, it did. And uh, came with a fantastic young stock bull at the time, and he went away to commercial herd, unfortunately. All right. Uh, Tom Horn, formidable, yeah. And of course, back then you would have kept sheep as well, didn't you? Have Suffolk? Did you get back into the Suffolk's again uh, yourself, Danny? I, on the, the mid nineties, uh, we built up under twenty block and decided with selling, we flushing a lot of blues, like and we're building, trying to build up the blues, and just we're tight for facilities, mm-hmm. and uh, they just sold this beautiful heifer calf with its recipient mum in the shed one Sunday morning for 6,000 guineas privately. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy didn't want it for a fortnight. I says, oh, that's fine. And the, the Suffolk ewes and lambs, and this was the middle of March, Andy, they were in the, the lean-to, mm-hmm. the opposite side, like, and I knew these heifers and calves were too tight on. And anyway, we shook hands in the deal, and I said, I'll deliver it in a fortnight. And uh, the following weekend, I was busy bedding, and of course they were getting ready, they could smell the grass growing, and it had been a, quite a wet time, and I still had to get these Suffolks out. And uh, anyway, these heifers were dancing about in the pens, like, and I was away up, five or six pens up the shed, and I heard this almighty thud, and you could hear the echo in the breeze block wall, like, coming up the shed. I said, God, I said, I hope that was a heifer, not a calf. Mm-hmm. I knew something got kicked, like, anyway, I ran back down, dropped the fork, and ran back down. And here's this calf I'd sold for 6,000 the previous week, <laughs> nearly to the hour, <laughs> lying, dropped down, lying, kicking, like. And one of, one of the mothers had hit it that hard, it, it ruptured all its intestines, like, it was dead before okay. the vet got there. <laughs> Bloody hell. So that was the decision. We took the decision there and then, that's it. Suffolk's are grown. Uh-huh. So we, we dispersed, this, sold the Suffolk at Carlisle in November mm-hmm. uh, 2000, just, just pre-foot and mouth, yeah. All right. Get a good trade for them, I suppose. Suffolk's were still we wanted back then, weren't they? Yeah, we, we did the eye. We, we averaged, I think it was about nearly 400 at the time, mm-hmm. but uh, what the most annoying thing was about that, and uh, I'd, I'd bought a top at the National from KNS the previous year. Mm-hmm. And uh, like a lot of the Aberdeen ones, they were so pushed at the time. The thing would be like, it didn't stop the use the first turn and a half. Right. So with a lot of young lambs, and uh-huh. although we're, I announced it, I was always up front about it. And I said to Carlisle Auctioneer at the time, I said, look, we've got all these young new lambs. They're not really strong enough to sell. So I said, I'm to them and sell them next year. Mm-hmm. The shearlings. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was all in the catalogue, like, the, uh, anyway... After the hammer went down in the last lot, this guy came at me, a guy called Sam Hamilton to Lockerbie. Mm. He says, would you sell, prepare to sell these lambs at home? I said, well, just come down and have a look. I said, yeah, probably if the price is right. And they come down the following week. They offered me a hundred pound a head for them. They were just young, like uh-huh. five months old. Like, you, I was like, mm. I said, yeah, go on. And I said, I could do with getting rid of them. I said, take a lot. <laughs> and they took the 30 odd ewe lambs, took them home. And decided in the January to top them. Right. <laughs> and foot and mouth kicked in in the February. 
And of course, by the time these you hogs were lambing light, <laughs> they'd been taken out with foot and mouth. And <laughs> he got the, the one of the Lanark auctioneers that come at the time to value them. And when he told me, when he told the auctioneer where they always is, these Danny and Jane Wiley bred these Suffolk's like the pedigree Suffolk's really. But he'd only put them to commercial top. Right. And he got a thousand quid ahead for them. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and the June kept them from the December to the June. Christ. They paid a hundred pound ahead and got a thousand quid ahead in the June for them. <laughs> I hope he sent you a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, well, some people get lucky, there you to, go. It's, we, it, we, used to joke, uh, we used to joke about it for years late, yeah. It's an ill wind that blows nobody any good, isn't it? Uh, and, I bless him, I deserved it. I could get cancer no longer after that, and the oh end is no longer with us. Oh, well, yeah. that's a shame. shame yeah, to hear. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll just go back to the blues for a second. What do you reckon to the blues just now, then, you're 10 years on since you went out of them? Is, is, are they evolved still? Still evolving, uh, getting better? Yeah, well, like every other breed, I think a lot of people have, I think, what the biggest for me, and I get a few people saying to me, Kenny, you're not going to start breeding them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one guy come at me. I called in at Carlisle in October on the road up to judge the short runs at Stirling. And I mm-hmm. called in the limousine sale and I get two taps on the shoulders. And one was a guy from Hexham. He used to buy five or six bulls off us over the years. Mm-hmm. And I could not, could not believe it. That was last year, 2001. Mm. He says, we've just put old Fagin away. Well, he bought him in 2011, so he was 10 year old. Yeah. And he says, I've had three since, Danny. And he says, I'm here buying a limmy because I, I can't get these blues to last like your ones used to do. <laughs> well, but good, to me, the biggest day. downfall of the blues was the colour, Andy. Mm-hmm. Black. They started going, fashion was black. Mm-hmm. And they were just forgetting about structure, soundness. If it was black, it was automatically a good one, like, yeah. And that was driven by the commercial man, the circle car, fancy car, for stone market. And mm. uh, I, to me, the, the breed suffered for a few years because of it, like, yeah. We've done a podcast on the blues in the past, and, and uh, at start where they wanted them white, um, so because they were putting them on the dairy cow, and the white That's ones would right. throw a roan calf, and then the whole thing turned when they started using them on the sucklers that they wanted the, exactly. the darker ones, didn't they? That's right. And Fashion, is there any better one way or other, Danny, do you think? No, I think uh, that's what I'm saying. I think there's too too much emphasis on the uh, colour and uh, muscle. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are getting far too short, like for okay. me, like uh, we always prided ourselves in length, like and square mm-hmm. plates, not not bloody extreme plates, like yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and a man who knows cattle and sheep, of course, you're in demand as a judge these days. And I don't know how many judging panels you sit, your, your name appears on, Danny. But must yeah, be well, I'm actually, I'm actually on seven. Yeah, different oh, yeah. panels. Yeah, yeah. And judging in cattle and sheep, you'll be, it'll keep you, it'll keep you busy through the summer anyway. I don't know how many appointments you take or whether you. Well, I'm actually, you I'm actually, I'm doing the Butt Trophy again. That's the second time I've been invited to do the Butt Trophy, and I've never known anybody. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Normally, you do the Butt Trophy once. So that's you. Uh, but I'm actually doing the Buck Trophy at the south of England, Agronly in June. Okay. If we go back, I'll go into your judging again in a second. But if we go back to the Buck Trophy, of course, the people that don't that don't know that that was the most coveted trophy in the beef livestock breed in oh. the UK, wasn't it? At the Royal Show, and Danny, I think you had a hand in winning that one too, didn't you? Yes, uh, we were reserved. Uh, we didn't win. Uh, the Blues were reserved at the last Royal Show in 2009 because as a stockman. That was all your ambition to get up that red carpet at Stonely. Sure. 
And they, we finished up reserve that day with Bill Bruce. Well, my old judging interbreed, yeah. yeah. All right, with Bruce. Yeah. That's an, it's an elite club, the, the ones that have picked that trophy up, that's for sure. And you'll be... Uh, was, it, was it not just? Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. And you say yeah. you've handed it out once and that's you that's you doing it again. Where did you judge yeah, it the last time? Yeah, I handed it... Uh, oh, I forget what it'd be. I handed it be 2014 or something. That was at Bath and West. Uh-huh, okay. And it was the Angus's, yeah. Paul Westaway and his dad won it that day with a pair of Anguses, yeah. And that shows a man that's in parcel, because I wouldn't imagine you're on the Angus um, judging committee, or maybe you no, are. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I've always, I've always been, I've never been biased at any breed. There's room for all breeds and correctness in all breeds. And uh, I think uh, over the years, a lot of people can bias their own breeds when they're in interbreed competitions like... Mm-hmm. The down point other bridges just to keep the, the the other ones out the road like yeah. We spoke to to Bart Richard Bartle earlier on on another podcast and and Bart always says a good beast is, is never the wrong colour and you you're know, right some, yeah exactly and the same way sheep yeah same way sheep yeah mm-hmm. yeah. I think Bart said he yeah. was on seven seven breed, breed judging panels as well, but that's what makes a proper interbreed judge is when you can judge all those beasts and, and even and, and then go with the go with the beasts that actually you're not even involved in if it if it's exactly right yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and in the interbreeds, yeah. when you when you're judging pairs, is is it about a pair? Do they need to be a pair, or just two good beasts? Yeah, I think it got to be a balanced pair, and yeah, yeah, can uh, it can be difficult in some breeds. That's uh, the same as the blues. That's the biggest problem we have in your blue breed. Can they never look the same? Being you, like you say, you can have a black one, you can have a blue one, you can have a white one. Mm-hmm. Whereas your Angus, your limousines, I think, have always got an advantage. Hereford's can always the same breed. A lot of breeds are always the same colour. Whereas uh, I, th- I think the blue gets disregarded a lot of times, like personally, because uh, of colour, like yeah, mixture uh, of colour. And, yeah. and and as a breed judge, you would have one eye on the interbreed trophies when you do these, and you see some people put a young heifer up to, for an interbreed for a for a champion in the breed, and of course that gives them that gives them a bit of a a bad start when it comes to interbreeds. If they, if, especially right. if you're going to mix them in pairs, like you've got to, got to yeah. have your eye on the interbreed, haven't you? That's right. I think when you're judging your own, you've, you've always got your eye and power. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. You judged the interbreed at Balmoral, I think, last year. Yeah, so right? did I did. I two thousand nine. Was it nineteen? I think two thousand nineteen. Yeah. You've done the, the the Burke, which we'd be would be various places, but obviously you'll have your, your you'll still have some more interbreeds to that you haven't covered yet in the in the big shows. Uh, yeah, I'm now, I'm, I'm mostly on breeds uh, this time. Uh, I've got to Hereford's at North, Royal Norfolk. <laughs> Blues and short runs at Royal Bath and West. Uh, uh, I forget there's a whole list there. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Jane keeps your calendar right there. <laughs> I'm actually yeah. Actually, the invites are coming in again for Reddies for next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you maybe got to get to turn down a few eventually, haven't you? When you're in that much demand, I guess. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 And we moved on. You mentioned the short horns just now, and of course that's what you're breeding uh, breeding these days, isn't it? The short horn. And- yes. Yeah. 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 Diversified the uh, with the blues, we diversified into short horns as well for another breed in 2004. Yeah. And still under the yeah. Tamhorn prefix. I uh, not now. No. Uh, when I when I split up with Pete Malabar, yeah, it's now the Grovewood prefix. Yeah. Okay. And how, how's that going? How's the short horns going for you? Ah, uh, well, doing tremendous. Uh, well. Up to over a hundred cows, like, uh, yeah. yeah. But he's not. He'll not show. But I want them to show because uh, the first bull he took to 
to Sterling Light was 12,000 Light, but at that time broke the October record Light, yeah. Right, okay. Grove, so, Grove with Jackson, yeah, yeah. Certainly a breed that's in demand these days anyway, isn't it? Oh, uh, they're on fire, and mm-hmm. absolutely on fire. Mm-hmm. And like, like everything else, every other breed, uh, when they become popular and the iron's hot, mm-hmm. people strike like, and there's a lot of over overpriced, overrated animals making stupid money, like, yeah. But I think the, one of the, the, the points, a, a short run light is unbelievable easy flashing light. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a problem, yeah. They get too fit a lot. And, yeah. and, and again, we've talked about the short runs quite a lot recently on these podcasts, and there are different short runs to suit different people, aren't there? They're, they're quite a diverse breed, aren't they? They are. They are, mm-hmm. and yeah. Because when you see a lot of these old photographs from the Scottish farmer recently, mm-hmm. can they? Uh, going back to the old 60s and 70s, and you see these, well, they were belt, belt and buckle cattle in these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. And they uh, just so easy kept, like. Yeah. There's a lot of that type in the breed yet, like. Mm-hmm. So they are. But, and uh, and getting them bigger, though. They're getting them bigger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you you don't keep any sheep any more sheep yourself there? You've, given, you've hung, no. up, hung up hung up your, your no. bit? <laughs> yeah. Uh, retired, well, semi. That's the part for helping, yes. But we Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane was asked to stop. They wanted to bump the rent in the farm sixty pound an acre. Uh-huh. Uh, three years ago, and then they said, "No, oh, you can get it out of some other mug." <laughs> That's enough. All right. Uh, so you're out the farm now. Yeah, we gave it up mm-hmm. three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, difficult times now as well, isn't it? There's a higher input costs and the rest of it. And oh, yeah. I just don't know where, and the weather's not helping over here, Andy. Can corn the now coming to head like well, there's nothing on it. Really, okay. just this dry April, like yeah. I, I knew yeah. you had a dry time there, but you you have been you have keeping your hand in there. You've been lambing. You're telling me lambing a variety of a variety of breeds, still getting stuck into. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah. Now can seventy this year and catching these blackface ewes like it's a bit of <laughs> the walks, the military two step, and the Canadian band dance all thrown into. <laughs> you actually get them on the ground. <laughs> But you did tell me you're lambing blackies and, and lambing them inside. Does that make it easier or not quite so easy? Yeah, well, personally, I wouldn't be doing it. But this is Chris's idea. Can he listen to fancy sheep shed like Yeah, it works well. But you know what blackies? Blackies are not bred to be restrained. And, yeah. no. uh, they don't like being restrained or being cornered like. They want to get away all the time, like yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definition of a blackie, right enough. And and you did tell me, I think you got some herdwicks there. What are they like? Yeah, Islam and I, I the great mothers, like unbelievable, great mothers. That's one thing about a herdwick when it drops its lamb, it'll follow you, like yeah. Really? Unlike a blackie, <laughs> if you've got to intervene, mm-hmm. if they don't start licking and you let go, oh, you can see the tail going like a <laughs> propeller. <laughs> Doing the field, like. you need one, two essentials of lamb and blackies. You need a good, a good crook and a good dog. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot of patience. Are you right? <laughs> oh well, Danny, as you said, you're still lambing just now. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to to talk to you on the top lines and tails, and a man that's done a lot of things. And we'll still see you about in the show judging ring for a lot of years yet. I think, despite yeah, your... hopefully, oh, yeah. yeah, God willing, Andy. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's right, Andy. Thank you. All okay. the best. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales. And with the show season soon upon us, make sure your animals are in tip-top condition by feeding Harbro's high-quality range of products 
or speaking to their nutritionist to get some of the most expert advice available. And make sure you also stay connected by joining in with Top Lines and Tales' Facebook page, which will keep you updated with news from the shows and news from around the industry, as well as information to back up this and other episodes. <laughs>